Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian. This is Behind Scenes with Brian, and today I'm joined by Walter Weining. Walter, how are you today? Burrow, thanks, Brian. Good, good. And where where in the world are you today? Well, today I'm actually in um, Wenatchee, Washington. Oh, okay, yep. Uh, um, I think that's an apple growing area. It is. When you drive in, they have the sign that it's the apple capital of the world. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. You're probably not there for the apples, though. <laughs> no, not here for the apples. We're here for uh, for a meeting on a uh, legacy aliens closure site that I work on. Oh, great, great. Okay, Walter, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education? Sure. I grew up in Minnesota, I guess, by background, and. Uh, went down to the University of Miami for my freshman year of college. Mm. And I thought I was going to study physics. It's all very interesting. And one of my advisors said, you know, you should really think about geophysics. And I kind of took that and said, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, And then transferred up to the University of Wisconsin. And of course, a few years later, ended up graduating with a degree in geology and geophysics. And I kind of looked back on that and said, I guess that guy really did know what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I went down to the University of Arizona and, and um, got really into the hydrology and water resources and hydrogeology aspects of things and uh, kind of launched me off on a hydrogeology career. So I worked in Tucson for about nine years for a small consulting company and then moved up to Denver and mm-hmm. uh, spent 20 some odd years in Denver and now... I'm working um, in Brisbane, Australia. I've been there for for almost a year. Applying my my hydrogeology trade. Okay, Brisbane's one of my favorite places in the world. It's uh, I put it up there with Vancouver for um, being a really interesting and and, uh, fascinating place to at least visit and I'm sure to live as well. It's been really interesting to live in Brisbane. We've we've been enjoying it. Uh, you know, my wife and son are there with me. We even brought the dog because we expect to be there for a few years, and uh, found it. It's a really livable city and and a very nice place to um, to be for a while. Yeah, when we moved to uh, South Africa uh, way back when, we took our cat, but not the dog. We gave my dog to the sister. So it's interesting that you have you'd have the dog with you. Yep, he was. He's part of the family, as our son said. So, um, yeah. so he came yeah. along. Yeah, yeah. So, so Walter, what type of work do you do? I'm I'm a hydrogeologist by background, and uh, most of the work I do over the past fifteen years or so has been in a lot of different aspects of mine-related hydrogeology and water management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got started with 
mine hydrogeology and legacy tailings really early in my career. That was one of the first field experiences I had was running aquifer test and starting to do some of the planning as a young hydrogeologist for uh, some significant mine tailings. Contamination problems uh, up in Arizona, one of the big copper mining districts of the world. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Do you, do you tend to, um, do you do like site-wide hydrogeology or around the pit or surface or underground or, you know, tell us a little bit more. Um, well, in, in a consulting career, you get to dabble in a lot of that. Uh, a lot of it has been kind of in the environmental and water quality aspects of, of mine water management and, um, you know, contamination problems that, that come from that, but, uh, gotten to do some baseline studies for new mine, greenfield mine development. And that's always interesting thinking about how a mine might come into this space and how to, how to do it safely and, uh, with minimal impact on the environment. Um, some kind of pit dewatering type uh issues and and thinking about pits and how pits interact with groundwater um, kind of looking at that integrated system and uh you know recently i've kind of gone back to my roots there with the legacy tailings in particular um looking at how to uh, manage those and close them and take care of some of the water quality issues that that come from legacy facilities and Associated with that, I've been working a little bit on on planning and siting for some new uh, new tailing storage facilities too. So it's it's okay. it's been a bit of everything, but um, but it always seems to come back to tailings in one way or another. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So I I kind of got reacquainted with you uh, through a couple of posts on LinkedIn uh, where you were presenting at a conference. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about the conference, what it was, and you know, was it well attended? Was it a was it a big conference? Yeah, it was the Mine Waste and Tailings Conference in Brisbane. Uh, it was literally across the street from our office here, so uh, okay. I got to. <laughs> it was it was it was an easy an easy ask to um, to be able to attend. It's um, it, it's it's jointly hosted by the University of Queensland. Uh, and David Williams, one of the professors there, kind of organizes this every two years. And the Australian or Australasian um, Institute of Mining and Metallurgy, uh, OSIM, uh, kind of the SME of the uh, uh, Australian region. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, it, it, it happens every two years and it was a, it was a really good conference. Okay. You know, it's such a small world with tailings practitioners. I was in um, Brazil a, a few weeks ago, and I went down to the lobby of the hotel, and who, who was there except David? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got a nice big hug out of him. <laughs> hey, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Yeah, and he's yeah he's I mean he's certainly very engaged in the the tailings industry. There's a yeah. a, a group here, the Queensland Tailings Group, and they have mm -hmm. some really interesting uh, presenters and meetings. So it's it's an active um, bit of industry here in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, I'm a member of that, except I can never attend anything because of the time zone differences. Yeah, that's tough. I think they did a couple of them online, and uh, I was in North America when that was happening, and it was I had to think seriously about whether I was going to try to attend, and a pretty spotty record on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, Walter, tell us about the presentation that you gave. 
Yeah, it was, um, you know, the conference was probably about 475 people. So it was really, um, it was pretty active over a couple yeah. days. And, and the, okay. day the day before they held um, a set of workshops. So Theo Gerritsen from Rio Tinto was organizing one on monitoring uh, and instrumentation of tailings facilities. So I got involved with him and had a couple other uh, presenters, Liz Bocek from South 32 and uh, Wade Ludlow came in from Red Earth Engineering. And then we had um, Arncho Loki from the Norwegian Geotechnical Institute. So it was a nice varied panel, if you will. And a pretty full room of about 30 attendees, uh, a really um, interesting and engaging sort of wide ranging discussion on all aspects of how we, you know, instrument and we monitor and, and try to um, get some advanced warning of potential issues with tailings facilities. Yeah. You know, one one thing that I I see getting repeated um, way too often is a thing that in Brazil they call it a well, it's, it's basically a fully slotted piezometer, and I keep telling people, and you probably are very aware of this as a hydrogeologist, that a piezometer that's fully slotted really doesn't, very seldom tells you anything helpful. Yeah, it's 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 tough when it's fully slotted because it spans different types of materials and you're never quite sure what you're monitoring when it's like that. So, yeah, uh, you know, those kind of open standpipe piezometers are really useful and and they're um, they're good instruments. And it's nice to have them sort of targeted in a particular zone because then you, you sort of understand what the data are telling you. So I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was was there any uh, talk at the the uh, panel you were on about future directions or, or things that we should leave behind or any real takeaways from that? Yeah, there were some um, actually uh, a little bit of both. Uh, there's a lot of conversation, and some of the presentations that I did were around things that have gone wrong, you know, and, okay. and things uh, things that we can learn from and terms of data quality and uh, sort of sort of understanding the instruments that you've put in and why you've put them in and what they're telling you. Uh, and I think one of the one of the takeaways from that is, you know, to treat these monitoring systems with the same level of rigor and care that you do other operational aspects of your facilities. Uh, to really you think about why each instrument is there and make sure that they're installed properly. We were all talking about the, yeah, had our, our war stories, if you will, about people who'd forgotten to record critical information. And then you'd have vibrating wire piezometers where you didn't know what the depth was, or you didn't know which instrument in a string was placed where because, you know, somebody hadn't taken care. Yeah. And one of the conversations I had was a lot around, you know, the idea of, of data quality and just, you know, doing the basics about, calibrating instruments properly and, and knowing where they were and what they were telling you and being able to tell when um, something was going wrong uh, so that, you know, and trying to have some redundancy. So if an instrument is telling you, uh, you you've got a problem, then you can go out and check that. And, uh, you know, we were talking about one case that uh, we had where that didn't end up getting done quite the right way and um you know big decisions get made based on these and and so you want to make sure that you get a chance to go out and kind of verify what 
what the instruments are telling you. And there is some really exciting stuff coming up in um, new new ways of monitoring, you know, with fiber optics and yeah. radar, um, remote sensing and drones. So um, I think one of the takeaways there was there's a lot of active you know, research and active um, upgrading, if you will, of how we're managing our, our monitoring systems. And we're getting a lot of data now. So, yeah yeah <laughs> so that I, becomes a challenge all its own is how do you manage all that data it does yeah i at some point people or organizations can become overwhelmed with data and almost have a paralysis from analysis just looking at you know so many different posometers and uh i i worked at one property where there was so many cross sections and so many posometers that it was probably full-time job for somebody to look at all of the stability analyses from that and that gets you away from having real-time solutions <laughs> it it does it's um and you know we're i think trending toward more monitoring of of you know and being able to zero in on some of those critical sections and critical factors yeah. so managing those data you know telemetry systems are something we talked about a bit and how you get the data from the instrument into the hands of somebody who has to make a decision that's why yeah. we're monitoring right because we have to make decisions about how we think our tailings facilities are performing, whether they're active facilities or closed facilities, or you know, really old legacy fil you know facilities that we're reclaiming and, and remediating. So the, we actually had a uh, uh, one of the vendors of some of those systems in to talk about those kinds of aspects, and and really that was an eye opener for me about how much of what we're doing with moving the data around is a a field and a specialty all of its own that you know we should pay more attention to it's we probably move beyond the days when it's an inspired you know geotechnical engineer or hydrogeologist who has an interest in you know, you know, data loggers and whatnot and it's moving toward you know these there are people who who make their professions you know doing this effectively and efficiently and turning all those data into information that we can act upon yeah yeah and that's that's what we really need, not not just data for you know appendices and reports, or or to to make somebody feel good, but to make it actually useful in real time. Yeah, and that was uh, that was I think a thread even through the the conference was uh, you know a lot of discussion about how we're you know, trying trying to move toward that that idea of, of information and, and making decisions based on better uh, better information. Yeah, 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 that's that's really good. So did, did you have any real um, main takeaways from the conference? Um, you know, I was struck actually by the um, by just the lively discussions and and all the the different things that were going on in in tailings management, there is a lot of talk about new ways of uh, of evaluating you know strength in in low strength tailings and improving that so that you can you know install covers and and manage them. There is talk about 
how do we close tailings? There's talk about um, you know doing some of those stability um, analyses and and really doing them better with more sophisticated tools once we have better information to feed the tools. So it was a pretty wide ranging conference, and um, I was I was kind of struck by the number of different professionals and and the people who are really engaged in uh, you know doing better with tailings facilities and tailings management. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, you know, people say that there is no innovation in mining, and I would have to disagree with them. You know, I would disagree with them, and and that was actually one of the things that I learned early on in my career. One of the uh, that first job I was telling you about doing remediation on a legacy facility, we were doing a lot of research on this mine that had opened up in the early 1900s. And you could kind of go through the documentation and see where, you know, miners were taking things that, you know, from other uh, other industries and adapting them. Now, every mine's a little bit different. So so you've always got to be thinking and, and innovating a bit on, on how you apply the technology of the day to, you know, to mine uh, safely and successfully. So I'd, I'd probably disagree with that a little bit also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walter, I, I think I've talked about everything I wanted to mention. Is there anything that I we didn't talk about that you wanted to? You know, I think um, kind of off topic a little bit, but um, you know, I've had this interest in what's kind of coming up in in space mining, if you will, which I guess oh, yeah. won't be a tailings problem. But um, you know, there's a lot of research and a lot of interest over the past, you know, five maybe ten years on um, on on being able to, you know, find some of our resources off the planet Earth. There's uh, you know deposits of helium three on the moon that. Uh, yeah. really interesting. There's asteroids floating around that are, you know, entirely nickel iron. I mean, that's, that's what they're made of. So I, I think it's, it's kind of exciting to see um, autonomous vehicles and, and remote sensing and all the things that might go into, uh, you know, developing that kind of industry in the future, coming out of the pages of the science fiction I read as a boy and, and, and yeah. you know, almost turning into um, turning into something that that may may happen if not in my lifetime then then in my son's lifetime. So um, it's an exciting little aspect of of mining that I think will will go somewhere in the coming years. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. You know, the, there's obviously huge challenges of bringing anything back that's really heavy and landed on Earth safely. Mm -hmm. you, know, you were talking about nickel iron but it could be you know platinum palladium kind of things and so do you have ten thousand vehicles bringing that back so that the payload is light enough or do you have big big things that are you know, it's just a challenge I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd i'd love to have some involvement in that world yeah, it's it's really fascinating. You know, are you going to end up doing your manufacturing in space and then send the finished product down? Are you going to yeah. bring the resources down? Right. Um, you know, when you think about innovation in mining, and and there's there's a whole new frontier that's just kind of growing before our eyes. Yeah, yeah. The the helium three they mentioned on the moon, obviously that would be for energy production and probably back here on earth but it could be useful on the moon if there's a a moon base for extraterrestrial mining whether it's on the moon or elsewhere 
Yeah, and that would be one of those light things you could bring back. But you know, the helium yeah. three, the nuclear fusion people say that that's you know one way that if you could get to nuclear fusion, you could do it without generating uh, radiation yeah. uh, by using by using that isotope of helium. And so that's it's just it's just fascinating to see you see how that's moving forward and and think about how it may may end up. Yeah, it would be. Uh... You know, if it happens in our lifetimes, it would be it would be amazing. That would be, yeah. I, I don't know that it will, but I think we'll see advances. So it's fun to watch yeah. that part of the mining industry grow. Yeah, there, there's definitely people with serious interests in um, extraterrestrial mining, whether it's lunar or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Walter, I know you're a busy guy. You got up pretty early in the morning to be on here. I don't want to keep you much longer, but was there? Anything else you wanted to share with us? No, I don't. I think that was a nice conversation. It's good to connect with you again, Brian. It's nice yeah. to uh, nice to chat. Yeah, same here. And uh, wish you all the best. And I, I'm kind of jealous of you living in Brisbane. <laughs> well, thanks very much. It's uh, we're we're glad we get to experience as residents, and um, yeah. rather than just kind of coming in for a couple of weeks, it's it's yeah. a, a great <laughs> <Yeah>. adventure. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. Walter, thanks again, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll try to reconnect some someday soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. All right, absolutely. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.